I think the World Series and the championships and the wins are a byproduct of what our beliefs are. And a lot of that came after that season. We had to do things better. We had to work smarter and we had to develop a culture of development. And that was built around the player. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, your source for the most up-to-date coaching strategies for player and coaching development. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner. Today we have on North Iowa Area Community College head coach, Travis Hergert. Coach Hergert takes us through their process of developing power arms and power bats, all while competing in everything they do. Be ready to take some notes for this episode with Coach Travis Hergert. Coach Hergert, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about your story and then how you got into coaching? Well, it started back. Um, so I'm, I'm an Iowa guy, uh, born and raised. I went to Clear Creek Amanda High School, and I just got done with my junior college career at Kirkwood Community College. It was kind of like one of those things. I was transferring on to an NAI at Mount Mercy College, which is in Cedar Rapids, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And so I called my high school coach, Randy Matthews, and I just needed something to do for the summer. I wanted to stay around the game, stay in shape. And so I asked him about volunteering. I wasn't expecting any money, anything like that. And he was gracious enough to to bring me on and, you know, throwing BP, hitting fungos, whatever it may be, and, and just helping out. And what that led into then was, after my junior year at Mount Mercy, uh, he got the job at Cedar Rapids Washington High School, uh, which is right down the road from where I was going to school. And he asked me to be his assistant and uh, I think paid a couple grand, which is you know, a great summertime gig in college. I ended up being his assistant for three years and really you know, learned a lot in terms of what I didn't know. You know. You're young and you think you know it all at that time. And there was a lot that I didn't know. And he'd been around the game forever and been a successful coach at many different stops along the way. Then at that point, I was graduating from Mount Mercy and I got into my, my internship. It's with the Cedar Rapids Colonels. At the time, they were an Angels affiliate and I was working in their PR and marketing department and I was doing sales uh, and I ended up getting my first full time gig with them. And that was a f- assistant food and beverage manager. So it was a glorious position. You know, probably, I made about 20 grand. but I was on benefits. It was my first real job. And after about a month of it, I, I absolutely dreaded it. I, I dreaded going to work, but I loved going to the stadium every day. And I, I would sneak down to the bullpen. I think Keith Comstock was the, the pitching coach at the time for the, for the Colonels. And, you know, I'd listen to him and I'd watch batting practice. I'd watch their early work. And I just kept saying to myself, I, I've got to stay in coaching somehow. I, I want to get to a higher level. And I'll I'll never forget the day I was working a noon game and a noon game in minor league baseball. There's probably going to be about a thousand little kids run around the stadium. And I mean, it's, it's just mass chaos. And I was working like the ice cream booth or something like that. And I was sitting in my office and I I was just, I've got to get out of this somehow. And my college coach, Justin Schulte uh, at Mount Mercy, who is a great friend of mine, probably, you know, I owe a lot to, gave me a call and said, hey, there's an admissions position open at Mount Mercy. You should apply for it. And I did, got the job, and he brought me on his staff. And after a year at Mount Mercy, and again, my first year of college baseball in terms of coaching, uh, and this is a guy I respected a ton. Uh, He taught me, again, a lot that I didn't know in terms of recruiting, practice plan, motivating players, understanding players. 
and attention to detail. And um, a job came open at uh, North Iowa Area Community College, where I'm now. And it was a pitching job, a housing job. And I applied for it, interviewed, ended up getting the job. Todd Rima was the head coach here at the time, uh, who had gotten NIAC off the ground into um, a really good program. And he took me on. And I was his assistant pitching coach and recruiting coordinator for eight years. And then uh, he left for Kirkwood Community College, which is in our conference. And the other kind of irony to all this is Coach Schulte then left Mount Mercy at one point and came into our conference at Southeastern Community College. So we all kind of intertwined together. And Todd left uh, in the fall of 2012. I got the head job here at NIAC, and now I just completed my fifth year. So in the coaching world, in my coaching career, there's, there's three guys that I owe a lot to uh, as I kind of moved up the chain, if you will. And that, those are those three guys, Coach Matthews, Coach Schulte, and Coach Rima. What does it mean to be a NIAC Trojan? So what do you guys stress to your players? Well, the, the first thing that I always tell kids when they walk through the door and they hear it from me each and every day, if you're going to be a NIAC Trojan, you, know, you have to learn to earn things. And I credit that a lot to, uh, I think, my background. My parents are very blue collar. They worked in a refrigeration factory for over 40 years. And you know everything that we got as kids had to be earned. Um, nothing was just handed to you. And I think that's kind of how I was as a player. I wasn't the most talented guy, but I had to outwork everybody in order to be successful. And I think I've, I've taken that and I rarely talk about my playing career because it was anything, you know, close to glorious. That's for sure. But I try to instill a very blue collar work ethic into our players. And I think our assistant coaches do the same thing. I mean, when, when you show up to a training session at NIAC, you better come to work and uh, I know we're going to talk about competition here in a little bit, but we we thrive on competition because it's a part of our culture in everything that we do it is competing. And so uh, you're going to learn how to compete. And I, I think you can teach kids that. Uh, I think you can really take a kid that you know, maybe isn't the most competitive kid or you know, maybe he's not the toughest kid in the world. Uh, he's got a little bit in him, but you can get more out of that kid. I firmly believe there's ways that you can do that. So if you're going to be a nitrogen, you're going to be a worker, you're going to be a tireless worker, and you're going to be a competitor. Man, I love that. That is absolutely fantastic. I really found out about you guys through Twitter because you you guys put a, a lot of video out, and, and <laughs> you wrote a, an article for Driveline, which is absolutely fantastic that I'll, uh, I'll link in the show Thank notes. You. From the outside looking in, you guys are all about power bats and power arms. Now, is that something that you guys train, <laughs> or do you recruit that? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, when I first started here, you know, as head coach and even as an assistant, and we you know, obviously you're trying to recruit velocity, you're trying to recruit stuff, uh, you're, you're trying to recruit physical power bats. You know, and obviously there's, you know, some other intangibles that go with that with some guys. You, know, you might have a finesse lefty or you might have that speed guy. So I think it's a little bit of both. When we first started, we, we had a group of just, Absolute grinding type guys. They love to grind. They maybe weren't the most talented guys in the world. Uh, I, I can go up and down our lineup my first year as head coach, and I can tell you that there was probably maybe one or two of those kids in that lineup or on that pitching staff that got any type of offer out of high school outside of what we gave them. And those guys, I think we had seven Division One guys, maybe eight, I think, it, it, when it was all said and done, uh, eight Division One guys on that team. Uh, and several that went to D2 or NAIA. So there was a lot of uh, talent on that team that had to be developed. I think over the last couple of years, 
with where we have sent guys, uh, we've got power five conferences and some of those big time mid majors and the Mac and, and those type of things that's been able to get different guys into the door for us. We had a young man this, this past year, uh, who was second in our conference. Uh, he was a uh, runner up for player of the year. And we don't get that type of kid if we're not sending guys on to those high levels. I and mean, he, he walked into our office. I asked him, why are you here? And he just said, because you sent this guy that place and you sent that guy that place. And now we are getting the type of guy that we want. I love power. I love velocity. We love home runs here. I mean, we're, we're known for that. Uh, that's a part of our culture. And so we are now be able to, yes, recruit that. But on the flip side of that, yes, that is a part of our culture in our training is velocity, uh, is ball exit speed, launch angles. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a hit tracks. We, we, we love to velo everything with running guns and, and whatever we're doing. We love velocity. We love power, uh, power sliders, power changeups, everything. And so we measure a lot of that. So that is a part of our culture. So it's a little bit of both when, when you ask that question. And, uh, you know, for instance, uh, last couple of weeks, I've been able to see a couple of our incoming freshmen and we've got three guys coming in that were 88, 90 when I saw them. And so that just, man, that, that gets me fired up for this fall because we have uh, some guys that can really, can really bring it. And we got some guys that can swing it. Oh, coach, I'm in. I mean, if I had any eligibility left, I'd be <laughs> signing on, on the dotted line right now. And mainly because <laughs> sounds good. Because all you've talked about is making players better, basically, by competing mm-hmm. and training for power and velocity. So I mean, it's a, that should be an easy recruiting point, shouldn't it? No doubt. I, when a when a kid comes through the door, I very rarely bring up the fact, you know, we've won X amount of games. We've gone to three World Series in the last five years. We've won three regional championships. I never talk about that. I, unless they bring it up, I don't talk about it because it took me a while to figure it out. But that's not what's bringing kids through the door. And people argue with me that all the time. No, what's bringing kids through the door is how you're developing them and where you're sending them on. And yes, um, you mentioned it. Twitter, I mean, social media has been a very powerful tool for us. And some people may think it's it's kind of obnoxious. I just say adapt or die. <laughs> I mean, it's been able to help us. Uh, get certain kids through the door that we would have never had access to before from different parts of the country, uh, from Canada, Australia, whatever it may be. We have ties in those areas. And a lot of that came through our social media contacts and how we promote our program. Everything we do, it's not a personal promotion for me. It's really not, but it is a program promotion. And uh, if you see our, our former hitting coach, Pete Lortzen, who's now with the Cleveland Indians, he is one of the best hitting minds that I've ever been around. One of the best baseball minds that I've ever been around. And he was an integral part to getting our program to where it is today. But he was also really good at getting our program out there on social media and using his products and his beliefs in hitting. And he was a volunteer at Iowa in the fall and it landed him a professional job uh, at short season A ball now with the Cleveland Indians. So it's a very powerful tool if you use it the correct way. And uh, we just love to use it to promote things that we do because obviously we, we might not be talking right now if it wasn't the, if what wasn't the case as far as our presence on social media. And all it is is program promotion. It, it's to try to give us an edge, uh, whether it be in a training tool or a way to develop our players or get that guy that, you know, that we've been dreaming of to have in our program that could possibly get drafted or, you know, signed at that division one school. Adapt or die. 
No, that's fantastic. <laughs> taking a, taking one from Billy Bean right there. <laughs> there you go. So I, I mean, let's just dig right in. So let's uh let's go through what you guys do in the fall. Can you take us through what you guys do in a typical week? We go from about the end of August when we started school, and we're going you know outside till about mid October, maybe toward the end of October. And to kind of give you some background on our program and how we do things. And obviously being the head coach, I'm also the pitching coach. It's my forte. And I've been blessed to have unbelievable assistant coaches. I mentioned Pete just earlier in the last uh, question, and he was our hitting coach. Uh, He was our third base coach. And then I have another uh, assistant with me named Sean Schlechter, who at the time was just a young guy, played for us, just wanted to get into coaching. And he came on with us and has done a tremendous job. And when Pete left in the fall, It was, you know, I kind of handed the keys to Sean and uh, I hired a guy out of Central Michigan who was the volunteer there for three years, played there for Central Michigan and Will Arnold. And so how we kind of set it up is I'm the pitching guy. Obviously, I'm managing the personnel, but Sean is the head coach of the offense. He's our hitting coach. He's our third base coach. I have never in my five years put on an offensive play. And I look at Will. He is our defensive coordinator. Okay, so it's kind of like football in a way. We've got Sean as the offensive coordinator and Will's the defensive coordinator. And, I mean, he's positioning guys. He's taking guys through you know, daily preparation uh, defensively. Sean's doing his thing offensively. And I call pitches and uh, just manage our personnel and moves. But, I mean, it, it's very, you know, I always say you're the head coach of the offense. You're the head coach of the defense. That's how we look at it. There's no pecking order. There's no, there's no ego with it. Uh, when we set up our training that way, I, you're very rarely going to see me around the hitters or you're going to see me around the defensive guys because I'm going to be around our pitchers at that time. And so that's kind of how I'll break this question up. So our pitchers uh, have a daily routine that they go through and we map it out. We're, we're very individualized when it comes to when it comes to our pitchers. You have to be, in my opinion, it has to be very, I'll take a Wes Johnson term away, uh, very hyper-personalization. Uh, I think uh, Ron Wolferth, uh, another Texas guy, I mean, hyper-personalization is so crucial, especially in pitching development. And so you got to have a guy that's there 99% of the time. But again, you got to have guys that you trust that can run the other parts of your program. And again, I've been very fortunate. So our pitchers have a mobility prep routine that they go through, um, an arm prep routine. And, and this, before they even touch a baseball, I mean, we are we work hip mobility, shoulder mobility, T-spine mobility, everything that you can think of, ankle mobility if need be. And we identify these uh, through a screening that we do with a local PT, uh, making sure that there's any inefficiencies, we're trying to prevent any injury possible, and trying to build a roadmap for these guys in order to build, uh, turn those inefficiencies into efficient movements uh, to where they can get stronger and be efficient on the mound, i.e. better arm health, better movement, better velocity, better stuff, uh, better success than on the mound. And so we'll take them through that. And then they have a, a plyo routine, a band routine, wrist weights, you name it, uh, before they go into any type of throwing. On the flip side of that, then, they have at the end of practice, you know, if we do some team defense type stuff, we'll get into that. But uh, at the end of practice, they have a recovery routine that they go through. So could be a bullpen day for a guy, could be you know, run a gun pull down day for a guy, plyo routine, long toss, whatever it may be. It could just be a flat ground. He's gearing up for an outing. So, or maybe we're working on a certain pitch. Uh, we do use weighted balls uh, for flat ground routine. We have we have many different versions of that. Again, it depends on the, what the individual needs. 
But then each guy has their recovery routine that they have at the end of the day. Uh, they have a workout routine. I am not into running long distance. I'm not into running poles. Uh, I'll use a Cressy term. You're better off running into oncoming traffic than running foul poles. <laughs> um, so we do a lot of sprint work. We do a lot of med ball work, a lot of lower half explosion, quick burst, just as you do on the mound. Um, so that's kind of the pitching end of things, you know, in a quick description. Offensively, we love to hit a lot. I honestly think if there's some other programs that came in to watch us in practice and saw the amount that we hit, some of them might cringe. I really do. And I don't mean that to toot our own horn or or be negative, but we get a lot of swings in. We really do. Whether it's angled front toss, whether it's regular batting practice, whether we're doing, you know, short toss, front toss in the cage. You know, Sean has a variation where we have two uh, L screens kind of angled. uh, So we'll have like one guy. Angled front toss, if you're a right-handed hitter, you know, it's coming to your back hip. And then the other one is over on the first base side. It's coming at them, kind of simulating a breaking ball, uh, like letting it get deep and hit it up the middle or the other way. And then you've got a guy just throwing regular BP. And it could be a day where we're like, okay, we're going to put a little on it here just to get a live look. Um, So we're going to get a ton of swings in. And what's nice about the junior college world, which I know in Division One, Division II, they've got – hours that they have to you know do logs and whatnot and they 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 don't have a lot of time to slow down and let's instruct and that's where we kind of have a luxury where we can you know we don't have to be at a super fast pace and so we're able to get a ton of swings in that way defensively you know will does a fantastic job of putting our guys through a daily routine whether they're infielders or whether catchers sean still does our outfield um, but they have a daily routine that they go through defensively now we might do what we call what we call like a drill series package and again i i can put a lot of our practice plans out there if anybody wants to see them and then they can poke holes in that too uh because we're always looking to try to improve but our drill series package could involve our outfielders but it could just be a series of different defensive sets so we could hit a ball to third base and he's going five three hit a ball to our shortstop he's going six four the second base is going 4-3. could have the first baseman going 3-6. Pitcher's going cover first on a 3-1. Catcher's going a 2-5 on a bunt. And then what we always try to do then is put in a live setting. So it could be, hey, bunt coverage with a man on first. And I changed this a year, a few years ago because I felt if you just did a series of bunt coverages in a row, we're never going to get into that live setting. And we always wanted to have it, you know, we always want to put guys into a, a feeling of what it's going to be like in a game or high anxiety moment, if you will. And so we're always trying to challenge them a little bit and kind of getting them in and out of focus, if you will, just as they do in a game. And so that's a, that's a drill series package that we do. We add in relay throws. We could in uh, situational type um, stuff could be, hey, we got runners at first and third, you know, deep fly ball to right field. Okay, you'd be amazed how many guys think that they can throw a guy out at the plate. You know, they, they all think they're Vladimir Guerrero, which is not the case typically in junior college baseball. So teaching guys that, hey, the cutoff goes then to second base to keep the guy at first base, you'd be amazed how often you have to go over that. And so, again, we try to put them in that live setting. So where they're having to make decisions as they would in a game, in a, in a live setting, rather than oh, let's just do five in a row and they kind of go through the motions. Again, we want to try to put them in a competition setting uh, that is conducive to what we're trying to do in games. Another thing that we do is what we call live ball. And this is where we're getting into competition a little bit. But we'll have a defensive team in, in their positions. We'll have a base running team. And we'll have a hitting team. And we'll go through you know, a series of different hitting situations. Uh, could be you know, runner at second, nobody out. 
typically what a lot of people want to do, hit the ball to the other side, and you basically give up your bat and move up, run over third base. Not necessarily us. We want to try to hit the ball as hard as possible. Yes, if it's a right-handed hitter, a left-handed hitter, we want to hit it to the right side. But I always say, I want to hit a double off the wall. And again, trying to put guys in a competitive mindset. And we might put them in a situation where, hey, it's late in the game. Here, we do have to try to hit the ball to the other side to move him up 90 feet. Okay. Again, we're trying to put him in different settings, second and third, one out, or first and third, one out, stay out of the double play. And again, now it puts pressure on the defense. It puts pressure on base runners as well. So they're getting live reads and you're getting situational hitting in at that point. And that is all off. Typically, it'll be off me. I still think I can bring it uh, some days uh, if my shoulder feels all right. But I'll be about 45, 50 feet away. And we're trying to simulate some type of velocity, if you will. If we, if we know we're going to see a high velocity guy this weekend, yeah, I might crank it up a little bit. But typically, you know, we're going to be a little firmer than we would just in regular BP. That's a typical fall for us almost each and every day outside of maybe some inner squads and then scrimmaging people, you know, in a competition setting, you know, other schools. So a lot of it is built around kind of competition, uh, live setting. I want guys to get a feel of being in a live setting because now for about four months, we're going to go inside and never step on a field again because... Well, we're in North Iowa, we're going to get snow, we're going to get bad weather. So we have to try to put them in that live setting because the next time we step on a field typically is going to be in February on somebody else's turf. We've never, we haven't been outside then since, you know, October. So uh, again, just trying to, to, to put them in as many live settings as possible, getting quality reps in and doing what we need to do to prepare. We, we talk about process, prepare, perform. That's a saying in our program, the three Ps, process, prepare, perform. Every day is a process in order to get better, get better just a little bit today. And trying to teach these guys how to prepare. What are you preparing for? Why are you doing all this stuff right here? It's in preparation, not only to help yourself get better and hopefully someday get a Division One scholarship or get drafted or whatever it may be, but you're in preparation to get yourself better. You're in preparation to get yourself ready for this game or this situation, whatever it may be. So we try to keep it in small windows. And I never talk about World Series. I never talk about regional tournament ever in the fall. I talk about getting better that day. You know, you're going to have to prepare to do this to face a guy throwing 92 with a nasty slider. You're going to have to do this to prepare to face this four hitter uh, that's absolutely going to rip your head off. If you make a mistake and so everything, again, is built around competition to prepare ultimately for what we're trying to play for later on in season. Oh, that's great, coach. So if you had to boil it down to kind of what is your focus in the fall, uh, not only just for pitchers, but for let's go for pitchers, hitters and your defenders. If you had to break it down to one thing, what you guys are trying to do, what would that be? Routine, learning routine. You'd be amazed how many kids come out of high school and most of them have a a little bit of a grasp of it. And so on the pitching end of things, just, I mean, I hate to use the word grind because I mean, I tell guys, this has to be your lifestyle. The first thing I tell them when they walk into the door at our team meeting, this has to be your lifestyle. Everything they do from the second you wake up, you come into weights, you come into the class, how you eat, how you carry yourself, how you dress to how you prepare for practice how you practice during practice, how you train, how you take care of your body post-training, how you invest in your study, and how you invest in your sleep. This has to be your lifestyle. 
and you have to have a routine and really teaching kids, okay, this is how I'm going to prepare. This is my routine on this day for pitchers. Offensively, uh, we're not going to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of everything until after our fall season's done, but we're going to try to teach them kind of the base of what we do and kind of what our beliefs are. And a lot of that, you know, now we're able to kind of recruit a little bit, you know, guys that do some things that we really like. So again, the learning curve then, you know, isn't as far. I mean, it's, it's shortened up a little bit and we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of things that we like to do, but teaching them kind of how we go about our batting practice or what are we looking for here? Um, maybe implementing a little bit of weighted bats that we use to kind of what our offensive philosophy is and really just kind of getting them uh, in that base, if you will, uh, what we believe in defensively. I'm not, you know, I'm probably going to spill too much information here, but we don't waste a lot of time, in my opinion, in the fall on doing bunt coverages or first and thirds or whatnot. I mean, uh, for me, it's about learning routine. It's a lot about just learning how to prepare yourself in, in the collegiate setting. And so, again, just kind of building that routine so they understand, again, pre- what preparation is all about. Now, this is a total shot in the dark because I don't know. But I'm guessing you guys uh, hit it pretty hard in the weight room and throw a bunch of heavy weight around. <laughs> that is that is correct. Our strength coach, uh, Mark Furba, he's also our head trainer. So I would say he can kill you in the weight room, and then he can bring you back to life in the trainer's room. Um, and again, each guy has to be assessed. I mean, we want to make sure that you know if guys are weak, you know, that we're trying to build them up slowly. Maybe it's an inefficient movement that they need to correct. Uh, maybe it's a prior injury that we need to, you know, address and make sure that that's close to 100% before we start moving some heavy weight around. We like to do kind of an introductory for our weight program in the fall. I'm not too crazy about going super heavy at that point of the year because a lot of these guys, their bodies are trying to adapt to training every day. I mean, some of these kids that have come in have never practiced in a fall setting. They've never been through a fall training like that. And so their bodies need time to adapt. Mark does a good job of kind of doing kind of an introductory two times a week uh, that we do kind of build some base strength. Uh, but then we once we get done with our fall and go into our individual time of the year, what I call our on season, you know, a lot of people call it the off season. I call it the on season. And that's a phrase that we kind of coined just because that has to be our bread and butter. That is where we make progress. And you have to turn it on that time of year. You have to be engaged. You have to have it on each and every day. And so we are going to test guys in the weight room in their squats, cleans, deadlift, and bench press. And that goes for every single guy, whether you're a pitcher, a hitter, it don't matter. We are going to take you through that unless we've assessed it to where, okay, you have some inefficiencies within your, your hips. Uh, you have some inefficiencies in the lower half or whatever it may be. You know, we have to kind of address that and build you back up before hey, go throw 350 on, whatever it may be. Then well, we have kind of a base week, we have a volume week, uh, we have a heavy week, and then we kind of test it every four weeks and see where they're at. And so if we're doing front squats one day and you have eight reps, you're going to take 60% of what your max is. And so we have a conversion chart that we use. So everything's measured. And you know, a lot of programs are like, here's the weight program, go do it. No, we want to make sure that guys are executing it correctly and that's where it's nice. And most junior colleges, you don't have a strength coach. The head coach is your strength coach. Your assistant is a strength coach. Uh, we're in there just monitoring guys, making sure. But Mark and his staff are on top of it 
and making sure guys are moving weight correctly, their exercises are done correctly, but then also we're monitoring it on their performance charts as well. And so we can say, hey, that's not 75% of what this max is. You need to throw on more weight or, hey, you're doing way too much right there. You know, just go with what this is you know, telling you to do. And so we measure everything. And again, I think you have to measure everything in order to keep guys going with that process and understanding that, hey, this is a, a phase in this program. You, you just go do things that you want to do. You, you could hurt, end up hurting yourself or it could be you know, something that's going to hinder you down the road. So, again, we're always measuring, too, just to keep guys engaged. And I always talk about, well, you measure what you treasure. You know, if you want them yeah. to, to do what, what like you want that. them to do, then then you have to measure it and you don't measure it. I'm going to steal that one. Hey, take it all you want. <laughs> so you talked about competition a little bit and I am really excited to ask you this question, but how do you guys integrate competition into practices? Uh, depends on kind of the time of the year. Depends on where we're at. You know, I'll give the quick example. Uh, when we're in our individual sessions, okay, and, and yeah, you mentioned the link to our, our three-year progress with the driveline program and using run and guns and plow velo. Again, we use a radar gun as a tool for measuring. And you want to get kids ultra competitive in your off season or what we call our on season, throw a radar gun up. Whether they are throwing a baseball, uh, throwing a plyo ball, if it's a plyo velo session, and put them in a small group and watch them go crazy. I mean, watch them. All of a sudden, you'll see a kid. And I go back into, okay, there was a, a documentary a few years ago um, on the Duke Blue Devils. And they talk about Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley and their relationship and how Christian Leitner wasn't this, you know, in-your-face, tough guy, you know, lighting teammates up to, to motivate them. He was a very, you know, very kind of passive, very quiet. And Mike Krzyzewski talks about how, you know, he developed that and, and coached that and got it out of Christian and made him into the player that he was. And that kind of clicked in my head, like, and we have some kids like that that come in that, you know, they're a good athlete, but they have no idea how to compete. And I think a lot of that has to do with they've never failed. Uh, they, they've always been the guy when they come out of their program. Now they come into a program, you know, like ours or a lot of college programs and looking around going, well, that guy's pretty good. Well, that guy's really good. Yeah, everyone here is pretty good. And so now some of them tend to shy away from that, and then some guys tend to embrace it. So I think you can definitely develop that and, and a more, com, you know, building that competitive fire in guys. And some guys have it, and some guys really don't. And you have to, you can teach that, you can develop that. Another way how we do it is again, I met, I talked about it before. We measure exit velocity. All the time. We're fortunate enough this past year, uh, a local indoor facility called The Yard, Adam and Shannon Gold, own this place here in Mason City. And we came to an agreement uh, and, and they were very, very welcoming for us and you know, said we can use it at any time. And they have a hit tracks uh, in their facility. And so you're looking at launch angles, you're looking at exit velocities, hard hit ball percentage. You want to see guys get competitive. Throw a couple guys in the cage and say, okay, I want you to take five swings here at a 20-degree launch angle between 15 and 20 degrees, and you have to be at your average exit velocity or higher. And watch guys compete. Watch guys get after it. Well, this guy went 101. Man, I got to get in there. I got to go 
You know, watch watch them really compete. This guy just hit, you know, three doubles in a row off the hit tracks off the wall. Okay, I, I now I got to get after. I got to match him or do it better. And you you see that come out of guys, and you don't have to tell them anything. You don't have to coach anything. You just watch, you you put them in that environment and you watch them get after it. It's really fun to watch. And you see some guys that you're like, man, I didn't know that kid had it in him. But all of a sudden, you throw a radar gun up in front of him, and you got a guy. There, there was two kids we had, and, and uh, Tony Grabowski, who's at Stephen F. Austin, not far from me down in Nacogdoches, and then uh, Dan's down at UNCG. And these two always wanted to be paired up together in run-and-gun pull-downs because they wanted to go at it. It was like two bulls just you know, you know, know, hitting horns. They wanted to just go at it. You know, Dan would throw a five ounce down at, you know, at 99. You know, Tony had to be at 99.1. And again, just watch it. And there'd be days where Dan would just kick Tony's rear end and Tony would walk out of there. Just he would just be madder than hell. I mean, he'd be just madder than a hornet, man. And it was awesome to see because this is in November. We're not playing games. We're, we're just competing. We're going at it. We're putting them in an environment where they're constantly competing. And we talked about it earlier in the last question with, with the weight room. Okay, we're trying to match guys up in, in sets of three, uh, in, in groups of three. You watch a guy, well, this guy's squatting the house today. I got, I got to match him. You know, I, I got to go, I got to go outwork him. And again, that just continues to push each other. So now you're building a, a team dynamic of competition as well. So getting back into practice, there are days where I will say, okay, guys, you know, Sean and I talked. I want, we want 130 home runs hit in batting practice today. Here's what our, our rounds are going to be. How many programs are going to do that? Tell me how many programs in America are going to tell guys to go hit home runs. All right. And you watch guys compete and they're, they're trying to work their swings there and they're not trying again. They're not trying just to, you know, swing out their shoes and look like idiots. I mean, they're trying to take their best swing and hit a ball as hard as possible at a certain launch angle. And let's launch the baseball. And we're trying to go at all different parts of the ballpark. Again, you want to see guys get competitive. Oh, that guy just hit three in that round. I got to get in there and hit four. And again, there's all different kinds of ways that we can do that uh, in our drill series sets. I, I watched the video this year. Uh, it came out, and I, and again, I can't remember the company that it was for. I think it was a back company. And it was with Ian Gensler and a couple other big leaguers. And they're with a, a Navy SEAL. They're out on a shooting range. It's probably in Texas somewhere, probably right in your backyard, man. Uh, but they're out on a range, and the Navy SEAL, they're, they're, you know, they're out there shooting a target at whatever, 100, 150 yards away, and they're doing it no problem. And then the Navy SEAL talks about them, you know, hey, in your batting practice, have you ever tried to get your heart rate up or, or put you in a high-anxiety moment before you go in and, and, and swing? And you know, Kinsler's like, nah, I never really thought of that. I want to try that. And then he puts them through that on the shooting range. So they have to go like do 10 burpees. You know, they have a cooler there. They got to do like 20 overhead press, sprint up this hill and then try to shoot a target. And they're just miss, miss. And, you know, you can tell they're, they're heavy breathing or, you know, they're having a hard time focusing and, you know, their success rate isn't very good. And so then at the end of it, you know, they're talking about it. And each one of them gave a different answer of what they were thinking and what they were feeling when it came up to shoot that gun. And, and they're talking about, oh, you know, I'm trying to get my breath or oh, it's so hard for me to focus. Or oh, I think one of them said, man, I, I was more worried about you guys laughing at me, you know, something like that. And again, I mean, those those are big leaguers right there giving way different answers in the same setting. And so 
I thought about this and this is indoors right now. And, you know, we're always trying to make it ultra competitive. So I, and I didn't tell the guys what we were doing and we're doing our drill series sets. And all of a sudden I'd just be like, you know, pitchers standing over on the side and I'd just be like, do 10 burpees. And, you know, we'd go through our drill series set and I'd tell guys to stop. All right. Now I want you guys to sprint up and down the court three times. Now go back to your positions and let's go through. And we did this probably five or six times. And they'd say, go, go run. Now come back to your position. Now we'll take you through your drill set, series set again. And watch guys, they're heavy breathing. You know, they're, they're, they're all kind of panning and they're wondering what the heck's going on. And so afterwards, and I asked, I asked the group, I said, how many of you thought that was punishment? And almost probably 90% of them raised their hand. And none of them understood what we were doing. And all we were trying to do was put them in a training environment where, okay, I got to try to catch my breath or man, my heart rate's elevated and try to get them to focus and put them in a high anxiety moment to where they have to go execute in this, in this setting, it happened to be defensively. And so that was one way where we could kind of ramp up the pressure, if you will. And it was a lot of fun to watch. And we kind of did that leading into our opening weekend because uh, anytime you go south and the teams maybe played 10 to 15 games, they're a little more seasoned than you are at that point of the year. And the teams that we go play, you know, down south, I mean, they're, they're pretty good, man. Uh, it's pretty high anxiety moments. So that was one way that we could kind of build competition uh, and change kind of the environment, if you will, and make it try to as game-like as possible. Well, I know there was one thing that really caught my eye, and you haven't mentioned it yet, and that was – hitter versus pitcher in the cages. Uh, yeah. So we get to a certain point uh, where we feel the pitchers are ready to go and our hitters, you know, we're coming off a, you know, a Christmas break where guys are away for a month and that's probably the most, <laughs> you know, probably the scariest time of the year for a coach. Cause you have no idea. I mean, you give them the tools of, all right, here's what you got to go do. Here's your plan. They have to go do it. And I think a lot of times the hardest part about that is players will tell you is, I don't have my teammates around to hold me accountable, to push me. And so, you know, getting back back to your question then, I mean, we want to get to a certain point where we're ready to go. We're pretty fortunate in our rec center. We have a 70-foot-long cage. And so, you know, we can get the full catcher, hitter, and the pitcher in there. And we call it cage matches. You know, we, we, and we, we kind of build it up a little bit that, all right, it's it's live cage matches on Friday. And you see hitters getting ready to go. Pitchers are talking smack to the hitters in the dorms. I mean, it's and they're getting ramped up and ready to go. And we try to put it as, as live as possible, like it's an inter-squad scrimmage. And, again, you're trying to get in the flow and the rhythm of a game. And, I mean, it is ultra competitive. And yeah, early on, yeah, does, does the, the edge go to the pitchers? Sometimes, yeah, hitters are trying to get their timing down and those type of things. But, I mean, there are days in there uh, where, you know, a pitcher might throw a good inning and you'll see hitters kind of get themselves together and be like, you know, you know we, we've got to be better or, what, you know, whatever. And uh, it, it kind of turns in kind of the offense versus the defense, if you will, in football. And it brings out, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of competitive spirit, if you will. And it's fun to watch. I'll purposely you know, make a bad call, you know, whoever's, I'll tell, hey, squeeze this guy. Junior college umpires are sometimes not very good. You know, okay, umpires, you're going to run into some guys that they're going to squeeze you. They're going to make a bad call. Or you know, I'll call a pitch that's maybe six inches off the edge and watch how the hitter reacts. 
Okay. There's a certain way that you have to react and you, you can't let your emotions show or, you know, whatever it is you're facing adversity again. So, you know, instead of just, oh, la-di-da, we're out here just getting our work in. No, we're making it live setting. We might, you know, say, okay, for this pitcher, just for our, you know, our hitters to see it and for pitchers to get a feel, hey, every first pitch this inning is going to be a breaking ball. You know, just to get them to get the feel of getting a breaking ball over early in the count, but also for our hitters to see that as well. And for our hitters to make decisions of, well, it's a hanging breaking ball early in the count, let's go. Let's go mash that. Or, hey, you know, if it's a breaking ball, something you can't elevate or hit hard, you let it go. Even if it's a strike, so what? That's a good take. You know, again, trying to teach them our offensive approach and teach pitchers kind of how we want to execute on the mound as well. So during these sessions, these competitions, I'm guessing you're looking for some guys to step up and be leaders. And are there some ways that you, besides these competitions, that you guys try and build in leadership or team building? Absolutely. One of the first things that we do, and I actually stole this from you know, right down the road from you with Dan Hefner at DBU, was every day they, you know, they pick a few guys, especially at the beginning of the year. In junior college, you almost have a brand new team every single year. And they come from all different walks of life, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And so what you do is you pick a guy so we could grab Jared over here and say, okay, Jared, you have three minutes. Tell us about yourself and just go. And you get some guys that are very uncomfortable talking in front of a group. You have some guys that are they're the life of the party. They're going to be able to breeze through that. Now, it's twofold. It's, hey, we got to get to know each other. I think that's a huge, important part. Yeah, I got to get to know these guys. I know them through the recruiting process, but we're also trying to, you know, enhance that relationship, if you will. But also making guys be put in an uncomfortable position. And we always talk about, especially in the pitching world, you know, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a Brian Kane term right there. And we utilize a lot of his stuff. And that is a big part of our culture as well, you know, getting into leadership and, and team building. Uh, but that's one thing that we do in the fall right off the bat. Or we'll say, hey, here's a series of questions, and we'll just randomly select you know, five guys for that day, and we'll bring them up individually, and they have to talk in front of the group, and you know, we'll ask them just like, you know, okay, you're from, you know, you're from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Well, tell us about Eden Prairie. What what goes on at Eden Prairie? What what's something fun to do? What do you do on a Friday night in Eden Prairie? And again, you watch guys either they kind of relish it a little bit. But then you can force guys to talk. You can force them to talk about themselves. And not a lot of guys want to do that. Uh, but you kind of force that a little bit. But you start to learn a little bit about each other. And uh, there's a point in the fall where I'll be like, hey, who here can tell me everyone's name? And you'd be surprised. It's either one or two guys can do it. And this is, this is well into the fall. And so we're constantly just trying to get to know each other. I think that's a, a huge part about it. We're going to be in this ride together for about nine months. You know, we got to get to know each other. I think that's that's so crucial. But another thing that we kind of do in developing leadership, uh, developing our mental edge, if you will, we, t- we call it the Trojan Edge. I think I'm sure a lot, a lot of people have seen that on Twitter. Uh, but we use Brian Kane's Pride program as a base. Uh, we spend two hours a week, usually Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, in a classroom for about an hour, and we're going to go through a certain part of Brian's program. But we'll also, you know, it could be kind of the theme of what he's talking about that day. It could be routines, or it could be, you know, how he talks about mental bricks and or flushing it, those type of things. So 
we'll, we'll try to take away. It could be uh, a video example of Alabama football or UConn women's basketball, Iowa wrestling, even just away from baseball. You know, there was one year we showed you know, the best game that no one ever knew about or the best game that never happened. And that was 92 dream team where Chuck Daly basically put them, you know, in four quarters, 12 minutes, they're going to go at it. And they showed it. They just showed guys, you know, magic and Michael going at it, David Robinson and Scotty Pippen, all those guys. And they're just going at it and just in a competitive environment. And there was no fans there. It was just all about competition. And so it, we're always constantly trying to teach them uh, the mental maturation of the game. Another thing that we do is goal setting, goal setting and uh, standards. I think there's a difference in both, but we try to educate them in that. And what we do then is, okay, coaches leave the room and it could be, I want, what are your guys' goals and what are your standards going to be in order to achieve those goals uh, in our group setting from maybe a certain point in the fall up till when we end the fall or from the time that we start our on season to when we go home for Christmas break. And then we'll revisit it when we come back. Okay. What are our goals for the preseason here? What are our standards? How are we going to achieve those goals? Coaches leave the room. We give no input after we've kind of educated on what the differences are. They set it. And then what I say is, okay, I want one guy. Then after you meet, what are your standards? What are your goals? How are you going to achieve those both academically on the field, off the field in our training? How, what are our goals? What do you guys want to do? Then they have to print it off and they can make some fancy design if they want. And they have to list all those and, and categorize them. And then we tape them on every single guy's locker in our locker room. They have to see it every single day. And when you talk about a culture that way, where every guy is holding each other accountable, they're seeing those every single day, or they may run off more copies and put it on the mirror in their dorm room or in the bathroom of their dorm room. So they see it every single day when they wake up. They see those goals. They see those standards. Hey, we're not going to miss class or everyone's going to get, you know, we're going to get team GPA of 3.0 or every guy's going to go up 15 pounds in every single lift when we max out at the end of the, at the end of the off season or every, I think one of them this year was we wanted 12 guys at a hundred over a hundred exit velocity at the end of our fall training. Uh, and I think we had 13. And every guy was supposed to be at 95 plus. And I think almost everybody got there uh, in their exit velocity. So, again, part of our culture going back into, okay, what are we about? How are we going to do this? But then seeing it every single day. Um, And we do some community service stuff in our community here. I mean, we're in Mason City. It's about 30,000. And uh, we're a program that obviously a lot of people know about. Uh, in our area. And so we try to do a lot of community outreach type stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, ringing the bell for the Salvation Army or, um, you know, volunteering, you know, at a a track meet or something like that through our park and rec, whatever it may be. And I I think that, you know, kind of servant leadership is is very important in teaching young men that it's not about you all the time. It's about other people and using the power and popularity of your program as a platform in order to, to, create some some good you know for instance and we it kind of hits home for me but uh, we did an autism awareness game this past spring the first one we've ever done my son brody was diagnosed in july uh, on the spectrum and so you know i wanted to do something uh, to give back to those people that have helped my son in the services that he's given 
and and help those families that are affected with that here in our area. And I thought, man, what what a what a great way to use our program as a platform to be able to do that. And our players wore special jerseys. You know, they got behind it as well. Um, and we raised almost four thousand dollars. Yeah, just through one game and, and the popularity of our program. And uh, again, trying to teach our guys that, you know, it's not always about you, you know, and you may think you have some problems. There's some people out there with some real problems. Again, using the our program as a way uh, to develop these individuals and in life skills, um, because someday this is going to be over, man. I mean, very rarely is a guy going to get drafted and play professional baseball and make a living out of it. I mean, that's just it's few and far between. Uh, we have to teach you guys that someday, I mean, you know, they're going to be fathers, husbands, you know, they're going to run a business or they're going to be a coach or they're going to be a teacher, whatever it may be. You know, we want them to use the things that they learned in the classroom of our program in order to better themselves when baseball is done. I'm a Kaniac as well, Brian Kane, and I know he yeah, talks a lot yeah. about uh, perspective. And so I, I think you're giving your guys a great perspective on uh, on basically everything about life with all that stuff. So that's awesome. No doubt. No doubt. So you've taken us through the fall. So talk to us about what you guys would do right after you got back from winter break. Typically for us, we practice how our, our availability goes for our rec center and classes and whatnot. So we're practicing at 1230 and we go to about three o'clock uh, where we're on the rec floor or we're going to be at the yard that day with our hitters, whatever it may be. So typically what we're doing a lot, especially in those first couple of weeks is and it's just getting our feet back underneath us. So we will split our outfielders and catchers will hit and go through, you know, station work, whatever Sean's got planned for that day. And we use something called a Vertimax. And so uh, it's really just to help our hitters engage their lower half with some resistance and assistance in bands. They're very similar to what Heifer does down at DBU. And uh, that could be a station. Uh, then we'll have just a BP station. You know, we're going through our BP, pregame BP routine. And then we also have just a front toss station. It could be an angled front toss station. You know, it could be we're using, we use axe weighted bats, uh, overload, underload training. So a ton of different stations, just get a ton of swings, uh, working on quality of that swing and basically just getting your feet back underneath you. In the meantime, the infielders are going through their throwing routine, all their prep for throwing going into the throwing routine and then going through their defensive sets that they go through with Coach Arnold on, on a daily basis. He uses a ladder, uh, agility ladder, quite a bit. He uses a lot of bare hand work with our infielders as well, you know, engaging in the hands and, and using their feet and being able to react. Uh, I, I think this is probably one of the best defensive teams we ever had this past year, and that's what I really wanted You know, when we had a coaching change when Pete left us. I really wanted to get a defensive guy. I knew Sean would be very, very good with our offense. I wanted to get a, a defensive-minded guy for our infielders and our catchers. Um, he did a fantastic job. I thought we had one of the best middle infields we've ever had here. Both of them are going off to play Division One baseball. Yeah, that was a luxury for our pitchers. But uh, at, at, when that's all going on, our pitchers then, we have kind of a pseudo-pitching lab up in our weight room. It's a turf area. Uh, it's our own little area. And uh, our pitchers are going through all their movement prep series at that time. Not a lot of programs out there that are going to take 45 minutes out of every single day in order to give their pitchers time to prep their bodies before they even touch baseball. And again, injury prevention, better mobility, you know, whatever that pitcher has for that day, that's going to be their routine. And that usually goes on again for about, you know, 45 minutes. Uh, and then we'll switch. So, you know, outfielders, 
uh, will come out of the cage. Catchers will come out of the cage. They'll go through their defensive preparation while hitters will then head to the, the cage, excuse me, through the throwing preparation, and then they'll throw, and then their defensive sets. And infielders will then go to the cages and go through their same thing, the rotations that the outfielders and catchers just did. Meanwhile, then pitchers are heading to the rec floor and then going through their throwing routine. We're very fortunate to have a ton of space, so we're never really on top of each other. And um, one other really cool thing that we have featured in our rec center is we have walls that are about 25 feet high, and then there's a suspended track right above that. So we have we have our own little version of launch angles for pitchers in terms of long toss to kind of simulate distances um, with different angles. And so and we probably have close to 150 feet from wall to wall, but then we can now really condense that from about, you know, 40, 50 feet away from the wall, wherever we're at to simulate throwing 250 feet or 300 feet, whatever it may be, whatever that guy has planned for that day. Now, after their throwing routine, if it's a bullpen day for a guy or if it's a flat ground uh, or whatever, you know, whatever they're scheduled to do for that day, they can do at that time. Then typically what we'll do is bring the cages that we have. We have um, uh, drop down cages. So we get everything back up and could be drill series for that day. Defensive team, defensive drill series could be just live situations or we have something what we call live offense and live defense. And here's a program that loves to hit doubles and home runs. And for probably about a half hour, we're working on drag bunts, we're working on sack bunts, and we're working on a running game, which I think is important. It's very important. Now, we always bring up the example. I think it was in 2012, if I'm mistaken, it might be 13, I can't remember, but uh, Louisiana Lafayette was one of the best offensive programs in the country. I think they, they led the country in wins, led the country in home runs, like in percentage doubles, but they also led the country in drag bunt singles. And that is another way to really try to enhance your offense. And so it's nice because getting back to that live setting, I'm calling pitches at that time. I'm calling our pick plays how we would in a game from when I'm on the bench to our catchers. And then Sean is uh, down in what would be the third base box of our rec center. And he's calling offensive plays at that time. So we have a live defense out there. Typically it's, we don't have our pitchers throwing to our hitters there. Uh, It's just them kind of going through that. So they can, they can live pick if they want. So they'll have a ball. So everything's off them. Then we'll have a coach out there just we're kind of basically like throwing a batting practice, if you will, to our hitters to lay down a bunt or uh, we'll have a wiffle ball in their hand and it could be a hit and run, or it could just be, Hey, you know, we got runners at second and third, you know, one out. We want to try to elevate something here. So we'll throw a wiffle ball to try to simulate a ball being hit. So that's just a different way to, again, to kind of try to, get an outdoor setting and a live setting at that point. And then one thing that we always do, and we started doing this a few years ago, but one thing that drives me nuts is when I see a team win a game, and I'll go recruit a ton here, I'll see a team win a game, and they don't they don't finish right. They don't win right. And, you know, you see it in the big leagues, you know, how you know, they go through the line, they do it correct, you know, you know, first baseman, third baseman come together in the middle of the infield, shortstop, third or shortstop, second baseman, outfitters meet in the middle. You know, now they all, all kinds of different things that they do. You know, pitcher goes to the catcher, and then they go through the line, then the team comes through. And we always will then set up in our rec center, you know, nine guys or eight guys on defense and a pitcher, and we'll simulate the last inning. You know, hit a ground ball to short for the first out, whatever it may be, and we'll do it, you know, throw it around just like we do in a game. 
and then we want to get the third out, and then we want to win right, and we want to go through the line the correct way. Uh, we practice it. There's actually people that will come in, like our golf coach loves coming in, and, and he loves watching that. You know, it just it looks like, hey, you know, that means something to us. We want to win right. We want to do it the right way. So uh, that's kind of how we always uh, end our practice sessions. And then, depending on the day, uh, we'll head in as a team. You know, or, you know, depending on what pitchers have for that day, uh, we'll head into our weight room then, and we'll we'll go crush it in the weight room. They'll go get a bite to eat, and then they'll probably come back at uh, sometimes around six thirty, seven o'clock uh, for an hour and a half study table, and. That's a typical day in our preseason. So something that I struggle with, and hopefully you can provide a little bit of insight with, and that's how to get work for your two-way guys. I don't know <laughs> if you've got a lot. So what is, what's your best advice for getting work in for those guys? Well, this came up uh, not too long ago, and I actually presented at our state uh, clinic back in January. And because our, our state went through uh, different pitch count protocols and we're seeing it a lot more now um, where, yeah, you've got your shortstop or your first baseman is your best pitcher. Uh, your catcher is your best pitcher, whatever it may be. And so I always kind of have a plus one, plus two, plus three. And so if you have a guy that, that started and went 100 pitches, you know, we're probably going to go what I, what I call kind of a plus three. Uh, you want to put him through a recovery day the day after. But then you have to be able to regulate his throws. If so, if he's your shortstop or your third baseman, you really got to regulate his throwing in terms of in between innings. You know, does he have to be throwing that much? You know, in between innings, can he do it every other inning, every third inning, whatever it may be? Uh, regulate his throwing program the day after to really assess where he's at. And then the day after the day after uh, could be, you know, a ladder long toss, whatever it may be. Uh, the throwing increases a little bit. And then on that third day, it could be a bullpen day or a flat ground type day and see where he's at. So that's kind of a plus three if they're in a certain, what I call kind of a certain pitch range uh, in their outing. Now, you got a guy that's your closer. You know, you bring in your shortstop or you bring in your right fielder to close out the game. Yeah, that changes a little bit then because you're not using him as much in terms of a, a workload or a volume of pitches. And so it just depends on the kid, uh, the position that they play. Uh, sometimes it's a little easier for outfielders, in my opinion, because they're not making that many throws, uh, say, as an infielder does. And so it's a little bit easier to regulate. And, and I, I think it all just comes down into managing the workload, having a plan and seeing how his arm responds and having the ability to adjust that plan within the season in order to keep that arm healthy. But if you have a base warm-up plan for that kid each and every day and you have a base recovery plan for that kid each and every day, chances are his arm's going to be healthy for when you need it, in my opinion. If he doesn't, if he's one of those kids that, okay, yeah, I go out and throw my 100 pitches in that game, and then for the next four days, you know, I'm just playing shortstop and I'm doing nothing to prep my arm and I'm doing nothing to recover my arm. That's when we see the injuries happen. You know, it's not overuse. It's undertrained, in my opinion. And to use a Alan Jager quote, listen to your arm. Yeah, 100 percent. And that's they know their arm better than I do. And I I tell our pitchers, you're going to constantly get sick of me asking, how do you feel? How does that feel? Well, I'm always trying to figure that out. You know yourself better than I do. 
I'm trying to get into your head a little bit and to get into your body, I guess, and you know, figure out, okay, this is what works best for Tim. This is what works best for Lucas. This is what's worked best for Joey, whatever it may be. And we have to develop that plan. And we have a template for each guy on a daily basis. And we're able to adjust that template. And we have kind of a base one that we have uh, for a you know, seven-day plan from outing to bullpen work to long toss to recovery, everything. And we're able to kind of adjust that uh, depending on what, how the guy responds. You know, we have some guys that throw bullpens. Um, so if we have a Saturday starter, they're going to throw a bullpen on Tuesday. There's some guys that are long tossing on Monday. There's some guys that throw one bullpen in between each outing. There's some guys that throw two bullpens in between each outing. Just depends on who they are. I don't think there has to be a universal plan, uh, set for each and every guy. It, it has to be adjusted depending on the guy. Well, I, I agree. It's all about, uh, individualizing for the player and figuring out what works best for them, which is, which is pretty tough with, your 18 and 19 year old kids and me dealing with 14 to 18 year old kids. But you know, in the end it's, it's worth it. I think we would both agree. We don't run a one size fits all program. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it goes back into player development. You got to have a different plan for each guy. I mean, it just, that's how it has to go. But hyper-personalization, you know, again, to kind of steal that, that phrase, that's, that's so crucial. Well, that's a great word. I think I'm going to have to bring a dictionary and figure out what that word means. But I think I have an idea what, what you're talking about. <laughs> Give us something that you just recently learned that you're really excited about. Rapsodo. I know it's been kind of a hot uh, topic here over the last year. And I know Driveline's using it quite a bit just for pitch development. You know, the thing that I'm really researching, and it's fairly affordable, you know, for some of us small colleges. And I know uh, Vanderbilt's using it. I believe uh, Oregon State's using it as well. Those are two pretty good pitching uh, factories right there in terms of college baseball. Pitch creators, another one through the track, man. Uh, I know the University of Iowa is using that as well right down the road from us. But uh, I'm really trying to study that a little bit. Um, one of my good buddies in coaching coaches at an NAI just up the road here, uh, and they got one at Christmas break, and we were able to use it at a scrimmage that we had with them in their indoor facility. And uh, I was just fascinated by it, you know, just with the spin rates, uh, the tilt axis, and you know, the velocity output of that and the shape of that pitch. And so my AD luckily is a baseball guy and he's a pitching guy too. So it's really easy for me to, you know, present this in a case for why we need this <laughs> and uh, get the money to be able to do it within our budget. But that's the one thing that uh, we're going to implement here into the fall, get one ordered and, and really, you know, kind of learn the nuts and bolts of it. But then I think what it really does is really takes the guesswork out of it. Uh, and you can use high-speed video, obviously, to see how the ball's coming out of the hand and looking at different axes and different pressure points and those type of things that I know that's kind of the new thing right now. Uh, but, you know, being data-driven, I think that's the other thing. We were fortunate enough to be a part of the modus sleeve study this uh, spring. It didn't go the greatest. I know they had some glitches within their system or whatnot, but we will use the modus sleeve uh, this fall for our guys uh, just looking at elbow stress and, and workloads and those type of things. And again, using data, going back into the, our last question, okay, you got a two-way guy or you got a plan for a guy each and every day, and this pumps it out in terms of what could be his high-level throws or his high-effort throws for the day uh, leading into his next start or when the last time he threw, uh, looking at elbow stress if we're throwing a weighted ball or elbow stress if we're throwing a bullpen, whatever it may be. And we can see how each arm adapts with each pitch. So those are actually two things right now for me that are the I'm trying to learn every little bit that I can about it 
in order to, again, enhance some player development within our program. Let me flip this question on you and ask you, what is something that you once thought was true, uh, but you have changed your mind about? I'll do kind of a joking answer, and then I'll give a serious answer. But I had a dad tell me today that his son needed to do more towel drill, and I, I cringed. Uh, but I wow. used to be one of those guys. So, you know, yeah, we used to have the towel. Um, I, I didn't know back in those days. So, but uh, yeah, we definitely don't do towel drill uh, here at Nyack. But um, uh, one thing that I think is kind of a, a hot topic these days in terms of hip rotation and hip speed leading into better velocity. And I know Kyle Bodie has put out extensive data that. That is, you know, like hip shoulder separation really being an integral part into velocity development. And it really isn't, you know, you're looking more at forward trunk tilt and obviously in how, you know, the glute and the hamstrings really engage in terms of getting lower half more efficiently moving forward and obviously getting, you know, for angular velocity in terms of the trunk tilt moving forward rather than hips rotating super fast. Um, but obviously there is, you know, it is the engine, you know, it is the engine that drives the car uh, is, is the core there that has to be incredibly strong and incredibly mobile in order to have that velocity output. And so that is kind of one thing you always thought was, well, the faster the hips move, the faster he's going to throw. That's not necessarily true. And obviously he's done that with a lot of the studies through um, the force plates and those type of things. And, and looking, you know, with all their, you know, all their technology that they have and the data that, okay, that's not really where a lot of the power source is coming from and through high velocity guys and how they're moving. So I think that's one thing, you know, that we've kind of changed a little bit um, in terms of, you know, like a lot of our lead up stuff. We do a lot to where we're, in, you know, we're activating the glute, we're activating the hamstring, we're doing a lot of med ball throws in order to get that forward trunk tilt rather than having lateral trunk tilt. Uh, to where a guy could have an injury that way. You know, again, I think that was one thing that a few years ago, I thought that was kind of the, the main thing, you know, the, the, you know, kind of like a figure skater, you know, the, the closer everything was, you know, the, the faster it was going to go and the faster you would go. And that's not necessarily the case. I think, you know, Kyle and his staff have really kind of debugged a lot of that. Well, they do a great job of debunking just a ton of baseball myths. <laughs> I know that there's a lot of stuff that I thought that I knew. And then I read their blog and I'm like, Right. <laughs> well, and one of them was uh, counter rotation and how, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to figure out whether or not it had an effect on velocity. And, and so they were saying that it that it really didn't. And so that really opened up my eyes. I was like, oh, wow. You know, so that, so that was something that I had always heard growing up that, you know, you want to counter rotate. But that was something I was like, oh, man, that that really changed my mind. And, and I started thinking about it and it you know, made total sense. And that's that's one thing I, I think they do a great job of is is they take something and then they try and prove it or disprove it with evidence. It's not mm -hmm. just based on, you know, let me let me go figure it out, but they're actually scientific and they go through, you know, all the all the different tests and all the different case studies and I, I agree wholeheartedly and to kind of piggyback that under okay, you always, you know, stay closed as long as possible. Okay. And they've kind of demythed that, if you will, and you know, where you want to open the pelvis and sometimes I know the work that they did with Casey Weathers here over the offseason where like he's throwing roll in throws harder than he was an actual pitch throw. So, you know, being able to open the pelvis sooner, we actually did this with a couple of our guys uh, that were maybe having some, you know, maybe weren't having the consistent velocity. You know, their floor velocity wasn't the greatest. 
know, we'd get some good peak velocity, but their floor velocity, it wasn't as close or their command wasn't the greatest, you know? And so what we would do is um, really talk about uh, clearing the pelvis. And one thing that I actually study a lot of uh, Stephen Jones with cricket, uh, cricket strength, how they develop bowlers. There's a lot of similarities, especially with the lower half. Um, and obviously javelin throwers, what driveline has done with that as well. So kind of clearing that pelvis a little bit and getting the lead hip open. Yeah. And creating separation, if you will. Um, you know, I just said you know, that they kind of debug that as well, but you know, letting that, you know, pelvis open up, you know, to get the lower half engaged, to get that, that forward trunk tilt and actually helped a couple of our guys quite a bit. My last question before we let you go is what are some of your favorite resources? I've written down a couple. Uh, you mentioned Brian Kane and Driveline. Uh, you mentioned the yard in uh, Mason City that you guys go to, mm-hmm. and then Ryan Parker. So what are some of your other favorite resources that have really shaped your career? Uh, Randy Sullivan. Uh, I love what Randy does now at the Florida Baseball Ranch. Uh, he's very accessible as well. I love what he does uh, in a lot of different ways, especially uh, the training aspect, um, you know, the strength and conditioning side of things. Austin Wasserman is a guy that I've really studied over the last year and, and, and really like what he does with high level throwing, you know, a couple other, like just different programs, you know, that I look at, um, you know, there's one kind of locally here. I love their culture is, uh, university of Minnesota volleyball, uh, the culture that they've created. It's, you know, it, it's very player driven. It's very development driven, um, you know, kind of developing different things competitively within their program. Um, and, and their culture, I, I, I love studying you know, other, other programs outside of just baseball. Gosh, what they do at, D, at DBU at Dallas Baptist, Dan Hefner, Dan Fitzgerald, Rick McCarty, uh, those guys just to me, head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to player development. And, you know, I pick their brains a lot. Uh, you know, when we ever, we see each other talking on the phone and engaging and, uh, player development. Uh, it, it's, it's so awesome because those guys just do an incredible job in my opinion. So I, I love to read, uh, Navy SEAL stuff. I, I, I really do. Uh, not that I would ever try it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, again, just the, the mentality more than anything, the, the, the mental preparation uh, that, that those guys go through. I think there's a lot of, a lot to go with that. Um, and obviously, uh, driveline Cowboy and his staff are uh, just amazing. I mean, they have completely reshaped my career as a coach and how we develop our culture, um, not only on the pitching end of things, but just overall in my beliefs as a coach. And I don't know how, I don't know why uh, we kind of became the Juco poster child for them about three years ago. And I think a lot of it just had to do was I, I read a lot of Kyle stuff and then just said, we got to do this. And we went and did it. And just, we just kind of did it, not on a whim, but just kind of, all right, there's no turning back. Let's go. And we've continued to evolve with it. His staff has been phenomenal. And uh, it's, it's really, it's really revamped our, our program. About 2014, okay, uh, we were coming off a year where we, were, we went to the World Series, first time in school history. Uh, that was 2013. 2014, we had some injuries. Uh, one of our key players didn't return. We didn't have a good year. Bottom line, we didn't have a good year in terms of win-loss. It, it just wasn't good. And as a staff, we sat down after that season was over, and we sat in my office for probably three or four hours, and we threw everything on the table. 
and just said, what do we got to do? What do we got to do? What do we need to change? How do we change it? And a lot of it was how we developed guys. And that's where, again, I started with driveline. Pete really started with weighted bat training, you know, training launch angles and exit velocities. And we had to change our culture. We had to change our, our culture. We were getting really caught up in wins and losses. We were getting very result oriented. And I thought that was kind of making things toxic a little bit, if you will. And we wanted to change how we train. So a lot of things that we just talked about early in this and how we set up our training and how we set up our practices really came a lot from that meeting and that season. And the rest, I, I guess, is history. And we've uh, been able to now pump out 20, where are we at now? 23, 24 guys to Division One programs. Had our first draftee last year when League Ziegler went in the 22nd round to the San Francisco Giants. We've, what, gosh, we won 96 games in two years and went to two World Series. This past year we won 39 games. And again, I think the World Series and the championships and the wins are a byproduct of what our beliefs are. And a lot of that came after that season. We had to do things better. We had to work smarter. And we had to develop a culture of development and that was built around the player. And, uh, and I, I credit a lot of those resources that we just listed off as very influential in how we've developed our program and we continue to try to evolve it. Well, Coach, I don't think there's a more perfect way to end the show than that. So <laughs> where can our listeners find you online in case anybody wants to get in touch with you? Well, we mentioned Twitter. Um, my handle is at Coach Herd, H-E-R-G. Our team Twitter handle is at NIAC Baseball, N-I-A-C-C. You can find us on the web at www.nyactrojans.com. Those are probably the best ways when we were very active on Twitter. Our sports information director, Kirk Hardcastle, does an outstanding job uh, on our website. Uh, we have a, a guy, he's a, he's a farmer. <laughs> this is so Juco, this story. Uh, he's a farmer. Uh, son actually played for us a few years ago. And he will come out and set up his camera and do highlights of our games. And, you know, he'll break it all down and then he'll post it on Twitter and then he puts it out, which is it's really cool because we don't do a live feed. We're just not able to do that yet. But we have a, a large international population here of our, our, our team. Like we had seven players from Australia this past year, three from Canada, one from Aruba and one from the Dominican Republic, as well as kids from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. You know, to be able to put that out there for those families that, you know, quite honestly, you know, nine to you know, 12 months out of the year, trust us, <laughs> us over here at NIAC to send their son halfway across the world to go play junior college baseball in Mason City, Iowa. Yeah, that's a, honestly, in all seriousness, though, that's a deep responsibility for me. My wife, Kimberly, and I have two sons, Brody and Owen, one's five, one's three. But we always say we have about 35 other sons throughout the year, nine months out of the year that really are a part of our family. And, you know, that that's a deep responsibility for me and our coaching staff. So, you know, I think that's kind of reshaped me a little bit. Being a father, I always kind of think, um, OK, if this were my son, you know, or, you know, how, how would I want to approach this situation? If this were my son, you know, instead of me maybe reacting and saying something that or doing something that maybe I shouldn't say or whatnot or you know, reacting kind of in a hostile way. I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but you're just kind of rethinking the situation and, and being more of a teachable moment. I think I've kind of grown up a little bit in that regard, but 
yeah, I'm a pretty fiery guy. I'm a pretty energetic guy. I'm very passionate about what I do. Quite honestly, if it weren't for these kids, if it weren't for the guys that have come through our program and the people that help us in our program, yeah, that's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about the guys that put in the effort, that put in the time. And our, our assistant coaches make next to nothing. You know, it's not a glamorous job in terms of money. And these guys put in more hours than you can imagine. And so, I mean, I owe my life to those guys and, and the kids that have come through our program and, and really helped put our program on the map. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to get in touch with me or view the show notes, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at AOTC underscore podcast, where you can interact with me and our guests. Before you go, I'd like to give a shout out to three people who left five-star reviews on iTunes. So thank you to JB Conway, Luke Croy, and someone with a username with a ton of Zs in it. But thank you guys for subscribing, rating, or reviewing to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.